Hello, and welcome to another episode of Greater Than Code. My name is Shantae Thurmond, and I'm here today with my co-host, Coraline Ada Emke. Hi, everybody. We have a great show today. I'm here with a dear friend of mine, Amber Conville. Amber is the Director of Engagement and Growth at Testable after several years as a software developer. She loves helping humans code in lots of languages and the software community and can be found speaking at or helping out with user groups, conferences, and nerd gatherings wherever and whenever possible. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thanks for having me. So um, if you've listened to the show before, which I hope you have, you know we always start out with our trademark question. Amber, what is your superpower and how did you develop it? So I think that my superpower is being able to adapt to a situation 95% of the time. It's something that I think I've developed just through going through lots of different life situations with lots of different kinds of people. You know, we all have like fun trauma stories, but there's also just you know, a lot of anxiety that I have. So figuring out how to navigate social situations with different kinds of people with anxiety, and then kind of learning how to navigate things like that in a professional setting, solving problems and learning about domains and helping people um, succeed without making them feel like I'm here to take their job or something like that. Backstory, I've been a consultant for like a decade at this point. So that's, I think, where a lot of that came from and has really um, influenced my career now to help other people grow in the same way. And I know from personal experience, um, I've spoken at self-conference, which you organize uh, multiple times, maybe four out of five of the conferences. Um, (laughs) And uh, I've always found you to be a very kind and very empathetic person. And I'm sure that translates into your working life as well. Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) Speaking of self-conference, I was online just loving what I saw. And I'm like, how have I never heard of self-conference? I mean, I'm in Chicago um, and I grew up in the Midwest and everything. I've been here. But to just know that that was happening over in Detroit is just so heartwarming and inspiring, encouraging. Can you tell us a little bit about the backstory and how you came to start self-conference and why you named it self-conference? Back when it started, there was um, kind of a homogenous uh, software community in Detroit, uh, in the city itself. It was very cishet white male. It was very Java focused. Um, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but there really wasn't any place for anyone else. A lot of the conferences that were local specifically would say they don't want things like soft talks because that's when this was <laughs> back when people still said soft talks and they just didn't think that, that who would want to go to that and why, you know, why would that have a place in a software conference? It's not software. It's, you know, human skills. So uh, a friend of mine and I just kind of got together and we thought, you know, we could do something that is similar. That's like, you know, inclusive to a lot more groups. We could do a lot of reaching out across the country. We could reach out to a lot of, you know, girl development was still a thing at that, at that time, you know, black girls code, um, black sync technology has been a partner for years and years. And we thought like, you know, people exist, we could bring them to Detroit. We could see that we're doing software in Detroit and we can talk about the stuff that, the people who are already here are not getting. So we wanted it to be half, you know, tech talks and half people talks. And we wanted it to be a speaker lineup that didn't look like all the other speaker lineups in the area. So we wanted it to be a lot more diverse, um, a lot more perspectives in it. And since the beginning, we've actually, uh, we started with um, gender, everybody starts with gender, (laughs) it's the easiest, but we actually, from the beginning got, I think 50% soft and, uh, people in tech talks right away. And we also, I think, got uh, gender parity right away. And so we've been kind of building on that since 
we're coming up on our seventh year um, next year. Um, and it's just been really awesome. We are a really small conference. Um, not a lot of people have heard of us. So hoping to change that this year. That's super inspiring. Uh, and I love the fact that you, you know, you started off with saying, hey, let's start with like, you know, an achievable kind of basic goal, which was let's try to get more gender parity, more diversity. And you have to start somewhere, right? Have Have you added more metrics or tried to diversify since then? Like, tell us about the evolution of from conference one to now going into your seventh conference, you said. Yeah. So um, a lot of it is partnering with the, the sorts of organizations I was talking about and kind of expanding that as we go. Um, we actually post metrics every year um, from our survey. And the survey that we do is anybody who has a ticket, speaker or otherwise, you know, if you feel comfortable, tell us, you know, what you uh, identify as racially, gender wise, and then we post it on the site. So if you go to any past years on selfconference.org, um, you should be able to go through the menu and see a metrics link. That kind of transparency is really awesome. And I think uh, probably serves a few different purposes. One, to hold yourself accountable. Um, one, to celebrate the diversity that you've managed to achieve. And also to maybe inspire other conferences to, well, to start with, to care about things like that and then to scrutinize themselves and see like what they could be doing differently to attract a more diverse audience? One of my goals with the larger kind of umbrella organization is to put together something called CompComp, which will be like a retreat for conference organizers to get together and talk about exactly these things. Like how do we build a more inclusive audience? How do we build a more inclusive conference and kind of share that beyond just self-conference and, and you know, the, the few conferences that are doing it. Is that a thing that you've already done or is that coming up? Um, it's probably next year or the year after that I'll do that. Um, for self-conference this upcoming year, there's actually going to be a one day precursor conference called title of comp, which is a tech conference, but the musical <laughs> and the main organizer of that is Aisha Blake, but that is being put on by, um, self.org, which is the umbrella nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear more about title of conference. And I did have a chance to meet Aisha, which was really wonderful, um, earlier this year. But uh, tell me about the self.org. Um, so self.org, the, the original kind of purpose of making uh, software more accessible to everyone with self-conference was uh, always with the goal of being able to um, kind of expand to the Detroit neighborhoods. Right now, neighborhoods in Detroit uh, don't get a lot of attention. Um, it's very like these are the businesses downtown and, uh, you know, the tr training for the most part that's downtown costs money like a lot of money. So they're expecting people, lawyers to send them there. So the neighborhoods are kind of getting left out, let alone we have a huge homeless population. So the idea behind self-dot is that um, we run conferences, um, but also we're going to start providing basic computer and programming literacy for free to uh, people who live in Detroit, like you just need a Detroit license, um, as well as the homeless population. We're planning to partner with the local shelters to, to provide that support. That's amazing. We're thinking it'll be really cool. We're planning that for um, next year. And are you also partnering with organizations that serve marginalized populations in that effort as well? I know you mentioned Blacks in Tech and Black Girls Code. So probably I think that that will be hyper local at least to start. Um, I know that people have already reached out from 
like other countries saying, oh, we want to do this in this country. I'm like, okay, we haven't even gotten started in Detroit uh-huh. yet. Let's start with that. <laughs> Some more um, local partnerships then. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, starting sense. with homeless shelters and, and kind of building from there. Yeah. So, uh, homeless and community centers and building from there. Well, you mentioned that the, um, one of the things to qualify was that they would have to show a license, but I'm guessing that wouldn't necessarily be the case then for the homeless community, right? Right. So that would be through a partnership with the um, with the local shelters. And honestly, you know, we don't have 100% of the details worked out. <laughs> yeah. Right now, this is very nascent. <laughs> nice. It's just still evolving, sounds like, yeah. but yeah. a great concept nonetheless. So are you a, are you a Detroit native? Um, I am. Yep. I grew up in the suburbs, like 20 minutes west of here and moved here about seven years ago. Um, and I really love it here. Yeah. It's Detroit's um, interesting. I mean, it's one of those cities where I'm paying attention to because there's been a lot of revitalization efforts and initiatives taking place there. So I'm happy. I'm happy to see that and hear that. And this, I think, is just another one of those, um, I guess, the the proof, right, that, that there's things that are happening in Detroit and I think it's inspiring because it's it has been a hotbed of innovation and then it stopped. But I think it shows that there's a lot of vitality left in the city. Yeah, absolutely. The people of Detroit are really like if you've ever visited here, you can just kind of feel talking to anybody who's from Detroit. Like people love the city. People have a lot of pride in it. And I think it's just important to make sure that everyone's involved in the revitalization effort. No one gets left out. It almost strikes me as a microcosm of the shift from, you know, Detroit, of course, was the center of automobile manufacturing. And um, it's maybe a microcosm of the shift from manufacturing to, you know, knowledge work in a way. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and we have a lot of uh, startup incubators here, but we also just have a lot of startups. Lots of bigger companies moved to the city. I mean, obviously, rent is a little bit cheaper on these like skyscrapers and things, but being able to provide cheap rent for incubators and companies that are just starting up has really been instrumental in kind of kicking off a startup scene here. Yeah. So in terms of that, I mean, I haven't, to be honest with you, I don't know all the data in terms of the, the startup community there, but it seems to be that it's, it's got to be strong because you are in tech, right? And you've been, you said that you've been working as a consultant for the last 10 years. Yep. And so tell us about that journey, the evolution of working in the Detroit market as a woman in tech. What, how, does, how has that been for you? Um, it's been an adventure for sure. <laughs> Through, I feel like, lots of different phases of my understanding and enlightenment and empowerment, I think. So, you know, anyone starting a new job is going to feel like the new person. Um, I think being able to grow and, and learn what was different between being the new person and being the odd person. Um, and then how to kind of close that gap has really been the name of the game. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine. And so what's the community like for women in tech or uh, those who identify as women? What's what's the scene or the vibe like there? Um, it's really strong here these days. It's really awesome. After Girl Develop It uh, sort of imploded, two of the women that ran it in Ann Arbor started something called Tech Inclusive. And they're just doing an amazing job. And it's you know, not just gender based, but they're running classes, um, you know, similar to what that might have looked like with GDI, but I think it's, you know, more cost effective and a lot more people included in it. It's very cool. Are you involved in any of like on, on a board or as an advisor? Like how have you, oh, no. how have you inserted yourself? I mean, obviously 
curating an event like self-conference, for instance, gives you access and probably broadens the horizon for you. But just curious on maybe if a, if a woman is listening in Detroit, how would she go about getting involved in inserting herself or, you know, assuming that she's already in tech, but let's assume if she's not, how does she go about doing that? That's a good question. I would say check out Tech Inclusive. They have a meetup site. They're in Ann Arbor. Uh, they are great. And I think that from there, you can probably um, branch out into other resources like that. I'm not sure what else is available local to Detroit other than just visiting, you know, self-conference and meetups like that. There is a Detroit speaker group also, if somebody's interested in kind of breaking into conference speaking. And we will have uh, links to Tech Inclusive self-conference and the Detroit speaker group in the show notes. Like you might think that self.org is about the self, but it seems like it's a selfless act that you're, that you're doing right in terms of being behind this initiative. You know, I've gone back and forth. Honestly, when, when self-conference was first named, it was, um, I was an iOS developer and I thought it was cutesy <laughs> to use self. Cause I was writing a lot of objective C. Um, and that's what we kind of agreed as a, a small group who were getting it started. But I've been thinking about it a lot, especially before we decided to make and name self dot. Uh, now that you can do these things uh, yourself as part of a community, you know, self dot conference, you go to a conference, self dot learn is, you know, the uh, programming and computer literacy stuff. Um, self dot work, we're going to start a co working space that's inclusive and affordable and, you know, out in, in the neighborhoods a little bit more. Wow. So you have big plans. Tell, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because I don't, I guess I don't know the full extent of, you know, what self dot is and then who's helping you run it. Maybe would you mind telling the listeners about that? Sure. So self dot um, is just sort of, uh, that was another part of that cheeky thing. Self dot is like the prefix for self dot conference, but also self dot learn, um, which is the basic programming and computer literacy programs, uh, self.work, which is our going to be our inclusive and affordable workspace for co-working. I mean, that's really it. We have conferences that we run. So we've got self-conference and we've got title of com, um, and then hopefully comp after that. Uh, and that's the big plans for right now so far. <laughs> I want to hear more about title of conf. Aisha was talking about it a little bit in the, the idea of a musical conference appeals to me as a musician, so what is that all about? So honestly, that is um, Aisha Blake's um, brainchild. Um, she is, you know, running with everything. Um, she's the main organizer. I'm not on the organizer team for that. But from what I understand, it's literally a musical, but a tech conference. So things like talking about, you know, maybe Postgres SQL or something like that, but in song. <laughs> and it sounds wow. super fun and super cool. <laughs> Who else is involved in that organization and running it with you? Yeah, so our current board uh, for self.org is uh, myself, Aisha Blake, um, who's also been an organizer of self-conference for the last couple of years. Key Reina, who hasn't been involved previously, but is super excited about the idea and being part of everything, as well as um, Jer Lance, who used to be on the board of PenguinCon and is just around local community stuff a lot. Wow, so to my hearing, there's only four of you doing this? So far, yep. (laughs) Four people can change the world, huh? We'll see. (laughs) <laughs> this is pretty, pretty great. So, and I'm guessing that, you know, before you got into doing this work, that none of you were necessarily aspiring to be conference organizers. Um, but how have you, how have you managed that um, or navigated this world? Because this is like an actual marketplace, right? There's companies who do this for a living and 
killing it. Uh, so to be doing it um, independently and in a, in a grassroots effort, do you have any recommendations for others who want to do something like this in another part of the country or another country altogether? Uh, absolutely. Talk to people who've done it before and get as much advice out of them as possible. I've uh, done a lot of this conference by the seat of my pants and that's why we're six years in and, and people, you know, right across the lake haven't heard of it. So it's a lot of learning. There's a lot of context and there's a lot of things that you just probably wouldn't even think of. So definitely like seek out somebody who is already running a conference and, and talk to them. Yeah. Seek out me. I'll talk about it. What's been the biggest learning for you or the biggest takeaway for you? Honestly, I think the thing I'm still constantly learning is the thing that's hardest for me, which is asking people for money. <laughs> In a perfect world, everything would just, you know, be free for all of our attendees. I wouldn't have to try to, you know, sell tickets because I really hate, you know, having to do that at all. But more importantly, I wouldn't have to hunt down companies for sponsorships. And that's been the hardest thing for me. And I still don't know how to do it properly. But the organizing team for this year has people who aren't you know, not me focusing on that. So that's uh, hard. I know. Amber, you've put your own money into self-conference too, right? Oh uh, yeah. A lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Way too much of it. <laughs> I think I, I calculated after this year, I think I'm up to, you know, between 70 and $80,000 of my own money over the last six years. Which wow. is staggering. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the unsexy part of these things, right, that people don't really talk about. But I do think that there's power in discussing it because one of the things that, I mean, if we're talking about gender parity and just equity in general and inclusion, this is something we have to think about, right? Like what it actually costs to start something up that is moving us in that direction, that there's a cost associated with it. Can you tell us a little bit more, like, has that been hard to grapple with? Do you feel like the, the, the end justifies the means? Like, tell, talk to us about that. Absolutely. So obviously that puts a pretty, you know, I'm not a wealthy person. That puts a pretty severe financial strain on me and my life and subsequently my family. Lucky for me, my partner is totally supportive of all of these efforts and totally okay with it. You know, when I started freaking out about it. Like, oh, I have to pay all this money because last year was a particularly rough one. She's like, it's fine. We'll just sell the house and live in a cardboard box. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> as as I'm with you. So that's just the kind of person that she is. But I think that, you know, one, something to shine a spotlight on is that it's particularly hard to get sponsorships for conferences that not only are broadly focused. So we don't have a specific tech that we focus on. Uh, we have many techs, just tech in general. Um, as well as, you know, kind of touchy-feely, let's talk about how we communicate with each other. Let's talk about how we include each other. It's very hard to get any kind of sponsorship money for that. Um, I think companies are good at talking a, a big game about it. But often it comes down to one person who has to make that decision for a recruiting budget or for a marketing budget. And it just doesn't fit in any of those places, which may, you know, make sense. But it, it does make it a lot harder. Uh, let alone the fact that we're a very small conference. You know, we usually have between 100 and 150 people. And that's just not super, you know, attractive to, to a company to, you know, give us money to, to run this thing. So those are the things we're still sort of grappling with and trying to figure out. As for if it's worth it, I, I think absolutely. I think so. I've gotten so much out of attending the conference. It's been um, really wonderful for me and expands the kinds of people that I'm meeting and circumstances that they're under Chicago is like very much, I think a bubble in a similar way to the way San Francisco is just at a smaller scale. And uh, it's been great for me to meet different people. I never would have met 
Aisha, for example, in my normal life. And there are a lot of people that I've met and a lot of friendships that have formed just from going to self-conference and being part of that community. It's been very impactful on my life. That's awesome to hear. Even just you saying that, even that one, even just one person having had an impact and gotten value out of it is sort of worth it to me. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm like too much of a hippie, but I feel like being in debt is really uh-huh. like, there's, it's just capitalism turned into stress. <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd rather just, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the cost does not get in the way of the benefit, right? Which is right, good exactly. for once. I know. I mean, I haven't gone onto the website to look at everyone's, to look at the metrics to tell people or to tell the audience right now about what people are getting out of the conference. But could you maybe give us a highlighted reel of that? Because I would love to hear just, you know, from, from conference number one to the most recent one, what have you been hearing? What do people say? Why do they return? Why are you having return sponsors? I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, so honestly, we do have a pool of returning sponsors that sponsor every year. Um, and they say that they do it because they want to support this kind of effort and they want to support it in Detroit. And so it makes sense for them to put their sponsorship dollars towards making this continue to happen. Um, and that's really heartening. So I, I think when people see that a company has sponsored us, that doesn't just mean, you know, somebody in a marketing position decided that this is, you know, would look real good on the bottom line or help them in some way. It's because they, that company made a conscious decision to help a small grassroots conference about inclusivity, diversity, and tech. And, you know, they care about that stuff. This is the kind of company that you want to go work for if that's something that's important to you. So that's been really lovely. Uh, Other things too, um, you know, when we first started, we had this vision of the Detroit software community. And um, I'm not going to lie, we, you know, my my friend and I that started it with me initially, uh, we said, you know, like, if we do this thing where it's half tech and, and half people talk, uh, I bet we can kind of trick people who wouldn't normally go to a people talk <laughs> into going to a people talk and, and kind of widening their perspective. And every year, you know, there's always a bunch of people that are like, you know, I don't think I would have gone to this uh, AMA about being trans that Alex Harms did. I don't think I normally would have gone to that just at a, a conference, but I went and now my mind is blown. <laughs> I'm just, thanks for having this venue available. And, and it's comments like that, that that really make it worth it. Have you heard anything specifically about how that makes them better technologists or better at their job or better leaders? One person in particular really stood out to me. They went to a talk I did about diversity at another local conference, Agile and Beyond, um, and they attended self-conference. And it changed their perspective such that they quit their job and started their own company based entirely around inclusivity. Wow. That little nugget right there, I'm sure that, that takes you far. Like, <laughs> I inspired somebody to quit their job and start their own thing around this. That's yeah, I was shocked. the ultimate return on investment for you. That's that's really great. Yeah, I'm really curious about these type of things. I guess um, one of the things that I focus on for my own work outside of this particular project is I'm focusing on human potential, right? And I'm looking at the intersection of like how human potential you know, emerging technology, the future of work and radical inclusion all come together, how they might influence one another. And, you know, my thesis on all of this is that, you know, we are, we, at the end of the day, we want to be good humans. We want to do our best and the technology will help us get there. But there's some really key learnings and opportunities to grow around radical inclusion, which requires some, you know, self-learning, actually. I think many folks believe that when we're talking about diversity or cultural competency, which I 
kind of trying not to use as much. But when we're, we're thinking so outwardly and thinking about the other versus thinking about how your own unconscious bias is keeping you from building or contributing or doing something meaningful with the skills like your, your hard tech skills to you know help humanity. Yeah, um, I um, I, don't, I don't know if you uh, have like written anything about that, but I would love to think or talk or read more about the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, we're build, we're in the middle of writing a white paper, and we have a podcast, and we're getting that's is in its infancy, really, and and so season two, like our full fully produced season, will really get into all of this, but definitely, and if and not to put a plug in, but I mean I we could continue that particular thread of the conversation over on that particular um, podcast if you'd like. So I'm more than happy to follow up with you afterwards with that. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. And Shante says like, maybe you should also think about speaking in self-conf next year. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would, I would love to. Um, it's, it's my jam for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think the thing that struck me was just that, and I do share this in my work that I prefer to take away the middle people. Like, I don't think that we need to rely on somebody else to give us the information or the knowledge to, st- you know, in this day and age, we have the technology that allows us to learn so intensely with the introduction of like AR and VR as it, as immersive tech and interactive tech. I think that the learning will just be unabound. Um, and I, and I'm really looking forward to that, but I am just a big proponent of trying to remind everybody that you don't need as many middle men or women in trying to mitigate or broker what you're learning and what you need to be a better human. Uh, and, and whatever I can do to, to kind of support that, I, I do. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that whole idea. And what it sounds like to me is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like finding ways to empower everyone to further their own learning. Yeah. And break past these fear barriers that they have around these big, scary concepts. Like, you know, even learning one thing about something is better than just being too afraid to even learn anything. Exactly. Because I've been a headhunter. And so some of the, you know, the clients that I've worked with have said, you know, I want to, they're looking for folks who have an MBA. They're looking for folks who attend a certain kind of a conference because that would demonstrate that they're taking things into their own hands. But I try to remind people, it's like, why don't you look for people who are self-learners? Because those folks take matters into their own hands and they don't stop, you know, they're, they're lifelong learners. And that to me is a, you know, a skill that is both technical and soft. It, sh- it should be at the top of our list if it's not already. Yeah. I could not agree more. Yeah. So I'm curious. I want to, um, I'm just thinking about everyone who is like me, who is new to, to the self-conference community, right? This one particularly, and who are catching up. So, would maybe, you know, Amber, would you be able to tell us just from, I know you're the organizer, so you might be a little biased, but what's been the most moving, you know, session that you've seen either this most recent year, or like, you know, I guess the entire time you've been doing this, what's, is there one or two that come to mind? That's actually a really interesting question. So I ran this conference by myself for a while. And then previously with only one other person. And so usually I don't get to talk, I see any talks. However, this year, for the first time, I actually did get to sit and watch a couple of them. So, you know, don't take it from me which one's the best one, because I only got to see like five, I think, the whole time. And I, I heard really wonderful things about all of them. But uh, I think the one, this is totally personal, too, but the one that really got me the most was coding out the clink. 
a speaker from a program that I used to volunteer for um, that went into Marion Correctional Institute in Ohio and taught like Java programming skills to prisoners. And that was a really amazing program. And it was amazing to see Ahmed Jalo is his name come out of that program and tell some of the stories from, uh, you know, when they kind of shut that program down from in there, the things that they did, like they whiteboard since they couldn't use computers, they whiteboard programmed for like a year or something like that. It's just very impressive. And then the things that he's doing, trying to build a life in programming coming out of prison and help other people do the same thing. It's, it's just heartwarming and amazing. Oh my gosh. That is so inspiring. I love it. Um, that, that would be a personal, something I would, I would personally be interested in learning more about too, just to, to find out. I mean, I have a people in my family who have been formerly incarcerated and the amount of stress it puts on a family to help that person reintegrate into society is just, it's underestimated. People don't understand how much it can impact you. Um, and then to, to know that this is something that, you know, is being taught in a prison to inmates is, is huge. One of the things I know that I've seen around the country is that some places, and probably you've heard of this too, is that some places ban this because they think it's, it's dangerous or it puts them at risk and they don't trust the inmates as we move to more of a digital age. So that's, uh, that's what happened at, at Marion Correctional Institute. I, I guess they, they got a new warden, I think it was. And mm. that Warden just didn't share the same ideas, and so the programs got cut. That's what Ahmed was talking about in in his uh, talk at self conference. But yeah, it's exactly that, and it's astounding. You know, if prison's supposed to be rehabilitation, let them learn, let them rehabilitate. You yeah. know? Right. I mean, who's to say? Like, and that's that's where it's so interesting to me because it's like a it's like when you have a change of administration, as we see at the top of this country, then your dollars and your focus shift every time and it's really discouraging and sometimes scary for inmates because they know that that i mean at the end of the day in order to get out you have to have a plan you need to be able to say i'm going to have this job to earn this much money so that i don't come back here and have the recidivism um, that everyone is so worried about and you know as we move into this next digital age we have to think about the ways in which we're preparing even inmates for the future and we can't leave them behind because there's already a true digital divide so I'm hyper aware of that and really try to, to spend some effort understanding the pain points and understanding that community particularly. And I just did, I'm curious to know, did he mention that, you know, in his work that he does, they're considering how people learn, like the future of work and the future of learning are directly correlated. Did he mention anything about that? I don't know that he said that specifically. He, he talked a lot more about his experience um, being part of the program and then what happened coming out of it. You know, as you know, if you're a convicted felon, there's not a lot of jobs you can get. It's, it's a lot harder to have a company take a chance on you, especially in tech, right? Um, a consultancy may not pick you up because they're consulting for banks or whatever, and they have to do background checks. And it's just all this mess and the system's kind of set against somebody coming out of prison from the drop. And so he talked a lot about about that experience and and uh, kind of things from that perspective. Oh, interesting. And did you say he he started the program or he was a part of it? He was a part of it as a prisoner. Interesting. Okay. Coraline, you attended. Have have there been any that you know that you think are worth you know sharing with the audience today, listening about what struck you as 
super unique or transformative in your own learning? I can't really answer that question. I can't single out a talk. The most important thing for me about self-conference, I have a, a kind of unique approach to conferences, and that is I don't stress about seeing every single talk. I'm mainly there for the community. So while I have seen some amazing talks at self-conference, and I'd say I attend more talks at self-conference than I would at like RailsConf or RubyConf, the thing that I take away is always the sense of community and the connections that I've made with people. I love talking to the speakers after their talk to get, you know, because when you're on stage, you're kind of in presentation mode, you're kind of performing. Self-conference is kind of unique in that people, I think, feel safer to be their whole selves on stage. What I like the best is like after I see a talk and the talk really gets to me, I want to get to know the speaker at a conference the size of self-conference. Like Amber was saying, maybe 100, 150 people, you have access and it's easy to go up to someone, whether they've given a talk or not, and just like introduce yourself and get to know them. And that's my favorite thing about getting out of self-conference is just the people that I connect with that maybe I wouldn't encounter in my daily life. People with like very different life experiences, people with very different perspectives. So I don't go to self-conference for the talks. I go for the people. I think that that's a perfect answer, actually. I'm pretty much like you. I don't go to conferences to like, oh, I'm going to like pack in 10 sessions while I'm there. It's usually like I choose one or two a day that really feel, you know, inspiring. And then I go, I, I go mingle and yeah. build relationships. Yeah. So that's what it's all about for me. <laughs> you know, well, I'm the you. same way too. And I, I think that's actually as a conference organizer, there's something interesting there. There's some change that we can make to conferences in general. You know, and the thing is too, one, one of the things I noticed as a, like an attendee, right. Is that I often, and I know that there's some women who actually are doing something about this. There's a mom and daughter combo. I can't think of their company name right now. I'll think of it later. And if I do, I'll add it in, but they actually, are their businesses helping conference attendees engage better because one of the things is like you go, you get your badge, hopefully, or some name tag of some kind, and then you go off to your session. But like you, it's not like people know what you do. You're not a walking, talking billboard, but if you're one of the speakers, people will know who you are. Otherwise it's just like, you can kind of blend in with the crowd. But I think there's so much to learn from the people who are just attending because oftentimes if you engage with them, even as a, the speaker, you learn so much more, right? So if there's any way to think about accessibility and equity in terms of like having, giving people voice at conference, that would be something to think about. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea to explore for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, Amber, it's been delightful having you on the show. And even though I've attended self-conference lots of times, I've learned some stuff from this conversation. I hope other people get excited about it as well. Um, when is it happening next year? Do you have a, a month picked out yet? Yeah, so we're aiming for um, early June. Early June. Awesome. Well, I hope uh, some of our listeners get inspired to attend or maybe even speak. Again, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate the time you spent with us. I'm also super excited because this is my first time being on the podcast with Shante. And, uh, yay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing a lot more episodes with you. So, uh, Ditto. yeah. So thank you, everyone. Um, reminder that if you want to support Greater Than Code, um, you can do so via our Patreon, patreon.com slash greater than code. 
Support us at any level and get access to our SOC community where listeners and guests get together to continue the conversation. So if you're inspired, come talk to Amber in the Greater Than Code SOC. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you soon.